The following episode may contain material that some listeners may find triggering or disturbing and may not be suitable for younger audiences, including depictions of sexual assault, violence, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Resilience is simply, to me, not necessarily going on a definitive definition, is being in a state of mind where you absolutely refuse to give up. You absolutely refuse to give up. I don't care what comes your way, what it looks like, whether you know what you're talking about, you don't know what you're talking about. You simply go into that space with what you have, know that you're good enough, you're worthy to be in that space, take up that space and push forward and keep going into whatever that goal, that end result, whatever vision that you have, it comes to into tuition. These are stories featuring everyday women who have overcome some extraordinary obstacles. From Ash Media Network, this is the good news. Welcome back to the good news podcast. Today's story is from Leslie and you are in for a treat. We were just about to close the Good News Podcast story submission forms prior to season two, which is public and open for anyone to submit. The same day we were going in to close the form for the season, Leslie reached out and submitted her story to us and immediately I contacted her back and told her that I needed to sit down with her. My first impression of Leslie was that this woman has her stuff together. She was sharp, well-spoken, but such a sweet person and so pleasant to talk to. Leslie's story is a story of resilience and one I think you will find sometimes unbelievable, but also absolutely incredible. Here's Leslie. I am Leslie Jordan. I am born and raised originally Charlotte, Charlottetine from Charlotte, North Carolina. I love the people. It's quite a melting pot, the diversity. I love the different cultures just coming together and just learning so many new things. And I also love that it's like a big little city. So I get the best of both worlds. I get a little country and I get a little city life. So I've always been very energetic very outgoing but inwardly so sort of an introvert extrovert personality i've always been the one that wants everybody around me to be happy enjoy themselves be full of life i've always like kind of pushed myself out of my comfort zone because i've always had a little shy side to me and i was like nope we're gonna push ourselves we're gonna get out there we're gonna do things and do the best that we can and going into college was sort of like my metamorphosis and it was a period where I just kind of really honed my independence. I I guess everyone would say call it these days adulting and it was a beautiful experience because it taught me that I had a lot of resilience and that I could do anything as long as I was willing to put my mind to it and not give up. I knew in the back of my mind that one day I did want to be 
my husband's wife and I wanted to have children and have a family but I was also heavily career oriented like I was trying to I didn't really really know what I wanted to do specifically in college and when I got out of college but I knew I wanted to do something that could help people and and he just came so correct and that's how I know God sent him to me like he checked all the boxes he was consistent and he was so genuine and I was just so thankful that God brought him in my life because he has really been the pillar like he has been the epitome of what a husband should be I think both of us wanted to have a family. We kind of talked about it. And that's another thing. Like when we first started dating, we probably had like a good, I want to say two weeks of just on the phone, conversing back and forth, putting all our cards on the table, being 100% completely honest, saying the things that most people would be afraid to say. Maybe somebody would walk away. Like we're just throwing it out there. Family was part of that conversation. And we knew we wanted it to happen, but we weren't in a rush. When we got married, it was like our early 30s. And so it was kind of like, yeah, it's going to happen. Let's just do one thing at a time. And God said, no, it's going to happen sooner than what we needed to happen. So when I learned that I was pregnant, it was very surreal. I was really excited. It kind of like hit me by storm because I was working for a firm at that time. And I was really just kind of getting my footing. And I love where I was at. And I was helping people. And I was making a difference. And I was like, I think I can see myself here for the next few years to really like kind of branch off in my career. And then when that happened, it was just like, okay, I'm just going to have the baby, pop it out and come back. I can just say pregnancy is a blessing, but it's very serious. I did all the things. I checked all the boxes. I probably was pretty much a string with it. There's so many foods I stopped eating. I changed my diet. I changed my lifestyle. Like I was very honed in on having a healthy child. I didn't care what it was as long as it was a healthy child. I had a normal pregnancy, as you would say, up until the third trimester. And I want to say a week before I was induced for delivery, I was diagnosed for preeclampsia, which is basically a pregnancy degrees where it can cause like high blood pressure. And some of the uh, symptoms of preeclampsia could lead to like stroke, death, um, you know, cardiovascular, you know, heart attack, other things that are near or death experiences. With preeclampsia, a lot of people have never even heard of preeclampsia. I know when I was diagnosed, it was just sort of like, what is this? And why is it happening to me? Because I've done everything I could possibly do to make sure that I have a safe pregnancy and the baby's healthy throughout this process. My doctor called me when I was at my mother's house and she was like, I need you to get to the hospital as soon as you can. It's not a rush. Just go ahead and get your things and come down here. We're going to go ahead and induce you. And it was kind of like, at that point, anyone that's been pregnant, I was at the point where I was ready. Get the baby out of me. <laughs> which are, which is a good sign. You know, you, you get used to the pregnancy, you get happy, but then you need to kind of get in a mindset where it's time to get the baby out so you'd be ready. I was being strong. I was smiling on the outside, but on the inside, I just didn't know what to think or say because I didn't think that being induced would be something that I was going to do. I thought I was going to carry the baby till the time that it was time to go and get, you know, actually have a, what they consider a natural labor where you don't get induced. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, um, I went ahead and, you know, got my stuff. And I went to the hospital. I was with my mother 
And I think at that point, I was probably about 36 weeks. So I pretty much had passed the the term of like what they consider preterm labor and 37 weeks, what they consider full term. So I was like right in that window where it was a good possibility that the baby was able to breathe on their own. And thank God he was when he came out. So he was healthy and he was fine. And so that was a blessing. And I thought I was fine too, into the next 48 hours. I was very excited. I was also very exhausted and sort of just disoriented. Like I was just totally out of it. And it was just like, I wanted to hold the baby longer and be there for the baby, but I just didn't feel good. And I just felt like because I had to get her induced, everything happened so fast that my body just was out of whack and it was going to take some time for me to kind of get my center. So after I delivered, which is pretty much not something that I can remember, I just started getting pain. And the pain just kept elevating. It was just an elevator that goes from zero to 2000 and it just kept going up as if I pushed a button to go to 2000. And I opened and I communicated, I told the nurses that I had a headache, which I thought at that time. And they just kept giving me I guess the standard medication that you would give and each time that I would say my pain was a 10 out of 10, I would get a heavier medication and it just continued until the point where we're at a 48 hour period. And throughout that 48 hour period, I went from being able to stand on my own into having to need assistance to go to the restroom because my head felt like I couldn't hold my head up. Like I had lost all my neck muscles. Like I couldn't feel any muscles in my neck anymore. As if like I didn't have a neck to support my head. And the pain was just so miserable. And I just kept thinking, okay, well, I just did have a baby. A lot happened. Maybe I just need to rest. So I just figured if I just stay calm, do the best that I can, hopefully this pain will decrease or go away. There was a nurse and she came into the room and I always would call her my angel nurse. She came into the room and she went over all the medications that I've taken and she knew that my pain was a 10 out of 10 because they have a scale where they ask you how bad is your pain from zero to 10 and 10 is like the absolute worst. And I was like, my pain is a 20. She looked at me, she looked at the medication and she was like, hold on. And I heard her go out to the hall and she went off. She was just yelling all kinds of profanities. She was yelling as loud as she could on top of her lungs. The next thing I know, a neurologist ran into the room. And, it, and that's why I say it had to be God, because at that point, my body started feeling like I was catching on fire. And I could hear my speech slurring as I was trying to explain how I felt as far as the pain. And I felt like I couldn't really move anymore. And I said, okay, something's about to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but I yelled out as loud as I could at the top of my voice, even with the slurring of the speech, I'm having a stroke. And I looked right at the neurologist and his eyes just got so big, I'm having a stroke. And I blacked out. It was maybe weeks that I was out and while I was in the hospital, I know when I woke up, I couldn't move. And I realized I was paralyzed. I 
I was listening to an episode on NPR's Code Switch called The Women Behind the Montgomery Bus Boycott. And when I say I was tapped in from the moment I pressed play, when we think about the bus boycott, we think about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, but we never really learned how this bus boycott was organized. But in this episode, you hear directly from the many women who organized for months and did what it took to make this bus boycott happen. And y'all, I was locked in the entire time. If you're interested in hearing more stories like this, you have to check out NPR's podcast. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories of joy, stories of resilience, stories that are distinct and varied and nuanced as the Black experience itself. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. So, as someone that has textured and curly hair, I'm excited to share Clairol's Textures and Tones came out with a permanent color range specifically for curly and coily hair types. Say hello to the improved formula and new look while preserving curls and shine. With 12 shades of brilliant intense color, no ammonia, and stacked with argon and olive oil to deliver some much needed moisture and vibrancy to your hair. So if you're my girl that likes a little color to spice up your look from time to time, the new Clairol Textures and Tomes was designed with texture and color specialists, and it was created with you in mind. Clairol's mission is simple, to make every woman feel beautiful and confident and help her live colorfully through accessible and easy to use products. Save your time and your money and give yourself a new hairdo because it's not the hair color you were born with, but the hair color you were meant to be. Clairol, it is so me. I don't, I think my husband might have ran out to go get me something. I think at that point, we had family in and out, obviously, throughout the 48-hour period. But my husband was the one that obviously stayed with me, you know, consistently. And I think when I blacked out, I'm sure when he came back, my assumption is they would have immediately sent me to get an MRI or a CAT scan, which is the way you scan the brain. And... I feel like because I voiced what was happening, that was like one of the priorities that they went to go look to see what was happening. And that's when they discovered a clot that formulated in my brain and stopped all blood flow. So basically I was brain dead. There's layers. And specifically when you're talking about stroke, there is not a linear recovery. So it goes in circles. It goes back and forth. One moment you see me, I'm talking. I look as what people could like to say normal. And the next minute I'm in the bed and it's not happening. You're, you're dealing with that identity shift here. You're going from, as we mentioned before, an independent, ambitious woman transitioning into the blessing of marriage and becoming a wife and desiring to be a mother, but not necessarily at the time I got pregnant. And then ending up not only becoming a new mom, but a stroke survivor at the same time. Me and my son, we grew up together. I had to learn how to walk with him. I had to learn how to talk with him. 
Like we were like literally I had to start my life over. The rug was pushed up, up under me. I had nothing to lean on. I had to start over. Like I literally had to make a decision. Am I gonna give up and quit? Because something happened that I didn't even think could ever happen to me? Or am I gonna continue to fight and push forward and make life or sense of life or something that I can hold on to and grasp to, which is my faith. And I held on to that because I knew I was going to be okay. Call me naive, but I never heard of something like this happening before. You hear of complications that women experience during their pregnancies, during childbirth, but a stroke, a coma, paralyzed, not words that I feel I've ever heard in association with having a baby. So I asked Leslie, where did she go from here? How was the baby? What was it like finally meeting the baby? What happens next? At that point, I don't think I realized I had a baby. I was just kind of like, I'm somewhere. I don't know where. I don't even think I realized it was the hospital. And once my consciousness started coming back a little bit and I could start moving my right side, I remember my right arm would float in the air. And because I was trying to like move again, but my left side was just still gone. But I didn't even think about, oh, I can't walk. I'm paralyzed and all this stuff. I was just like, I can, I can get this walk back. If I just move and make myself move because I just lost it, it'll come back. Like it will come back. I just thank God for him just instilling such a strong sense of faith in me because it was just so not good. And if my mindset wasn't so determined and just keeping on my faith, knowing that I was going to be okay, I don't think I would have made the recovery that I made today. If you look at the medical diagnosis and what the doctors after all this time have like, you know, kind of explained throughout the process, it's an anomaly. There's no way. My son, he is just so strong. Like, he just hung in there the whole time. So I remember him coming in a, like a sort of like a, a ICU box that they put babies in because they were worried about, like, him getting infected and everything. And they took him out the box and they gave him to me. And part of me was just like, what are y'all doing? Because I, I, I was like, whose baby is this? And then the other part of me was just like, oh my gosh, it's you. Like, you're my baby. Hi. I just looked around the room and all the nurses, the techs, the doctors, family, everybody was just crying. I was just like, why are you all crying? I'm just holding my baby. Again, I didn't realize how I looked. I didn't realize the fact that I couldn't really hold him. They had to like kind of position me so I could hold him. This is my baby. This is what I came here for. Just keep in mind, the whole time I'm postpartum, but that took a back seat because my main goal was get to a point where these doctors say I can go home. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get home. I just want to go home. I wanted to get in my bed. I remember doing some walking exercises. I want to say speech therapy. That was a huge thing. Trying to get my speech back to the point where you can hear the phonics and the enunciation of the words that I was trying to communicate. I don't know if you ever heard of anyone that had issues speaking, but it's just sort of a sound and it's like they're making a sound, but it doesn't actually have any articulation to it. Like the brain is just so magnificent. Like the fact that I have brain damage, but it didn't matter because they're called neuropathways and they can create new neuropathways to help me function 
if it was going down one pathway for me to move my right hand, it created another pathway so I could still move my right hand and go around the damage. I am putting on these brand new pajamas. Oh God, they felt so good because I've been in hospital gowns for I don't know how long. And the nurses helped me put these pajamas on and I still have this pregnant belly. My skin is unrecognizable. My hair is all over the place. And I looked in the mirror. I did not know who I was looking at. And I just immediately started bawling. I broke down so bad. And then the next thing I know... I had a relapse. My body was going into a violent seizure. And because I had seizures all through ICU, but this was like a huge relapse. And this seizure was like the most violent that I probably experienced that I I could remember because some of it I was in and out of consciousness. And all I could think of is I almost made it home. I almost made it home. And so I went back to the ICU. And that's when the whole epilepsy um migraines and all that stuff started happening because I what I would think in my opinion even though I'm not medically trained just from my research and my experience I think my brain was just trying to reconfigure some pathways some neural pathways because at that point even though they got I was stable from the stroke my brain still wasn't functioning independently enough to handle emotions I asked Leslie How does one keep moving forward in the face of adversity? And in her case, this challenging time in her life, learning how to be herself again. Here's what she said. You simply make a choice. Say, I am going to live. I will survive. I can get through this because I got through it yesterday. Each time that I met a hurdle that was hard for me to get through and I didn't even know if I had enough faith, which you don't need much, only mustard seed. I got through it. And each time I jumped over that hurdle, they got bigger and bigger. And when I got to the point where I jumped over another hurdle, I looked behind me and said, I got through all these hurdles. So that means I can get through this next hurdle. So knowing that I had already gone through it and I already was able to accomplish something that I didn't believe before, I knew I could do it again and again and again. Having experienced what she experienced, I asked Leslie, what is the best piece of advice she could give to someone who is currently pregnant or wants to be pregnant? And for those who are listening and not pregnant or trying to have a baby, what's some good general advice she could give on how to prioritize your health? The best piece of advice that I would give someone that has been diagnosed with a pregnancy disease, um, even if it is preeclampsia, is to build that relationship with their doctor. Ask a million questions. Get the answers to your questions. If those answers are not satisfactory or you don't feel like those answers were complete, find another medical professional to give you those answers. Take your life seriously. This is your life. This is your body. This is your pregnancy. You have a right to get those answers and find out what you think. And you know, because we all have intuition, you know when something is off. You know when something is not forming or acting accordingly to what it should, because this is your body. You have to work with the medical professionals. You have to build that relationship because all they can do is ask you questions and go based on the numbers and information that they get from your blood work 
they don't know how you feel. They don't know necessarily how you were pre-pregnancy because usually when you're dealing with um, OBGYN, that's typically not your general practitioner, even if you've been fortunate enough to have OBGYN for a long time. They have a very, what they call a snapshot of what your life is or your medical history is, but they don't know the whole picture. And that might be something that healthcare may want to get into, looking at more holistic healthcare instead of segmenting every little part of your medical journey. Because again, if you're not in a state where you know that you need to share certain things with your doctor or you're hesitant or feel for to share that information, because maybe you don't want to hear the diagnosis, you don't want to hear something's going to happen. But the reality is we have to share that information so that we can make sure that we're putting ourselves in the best possible chance to have a great pregnancy, if nothing else, at least be a survivor. And that's still at best case, because unfortunately, again, some of us just, just don't make it. And it's just so sad. And the numbers are way too high. The statistics are unbelievably high. If I didn't educate myself, if I didn't ask questions, I wouldn't have been able to tell that neurologist that I was having a stroke. Just so we're all clear, and we too can know what to look for, I asked Leslie, what are the signs of a stroke? And how can we learn more about how to reduce issues caused by heart disease and stroke? So yes, mark the signs and symptoms of a stroke, which is basically a simple acronym, and it's called FAST. And FAST is basically, you look at your face for facial drooping, um, A, is you have any arm drooping or loss of movement, usually. S is slurred speech. And T is time to call 911. That is a simple acronym for knowing that you're having a stroke. Because that's important. Even if it's not dealing with pregnancy as a woman, you just need to know that. Because you can have a mini stroke or you have a full-blown stroke like I did. And signs and symptoms, I was able to help save my life. Please go to <laughs> heart.org, the American Heart Association, or you can go to Go Red for Women with the E.org. It's a great resource. I do support that organization, the American Heart Association, um, this year as the Real Women, class, well, Class of Real Women 2023 as survivors. I was working with one of the marketing directors of the Greater Charlotte Chapter in the American Heart Association, and she discovered me at the Heart Walk, because Charlotte does a huge, amazing Heart Walk, which I actually did this past Saturday. Because that was one of my, because like once I got to the point where I could walk and have somewhat okay balance, I wanted to find a way to give back. I'm like, these medical professionals and everybody that pitched in, like, if we didn't have this research and all this medicine and things in place, I don't even know if I would still be here. So the American Heart Association was really big advocate about stroke survivors and, you know, cardiovascular heart survivors, if you will. And so I just started doing the walk. My older sister actually ran into her first and she, my older sister, you know, being an older sister, bragging, excited, you know, yeah, my sister and da, 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 and all this, all the good things. <laughs> and I'm just over here trying to hang on and get through this walk. And she saw me and she was like, you're a stroke survivor. What? And she was like, you had to give me your name, your number, and I will get back to you later. I gave her my name and my phone number, but I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, okay, she seems like a nice lady, sure. And I went on about my business in the walk. And lo and behold, she actually contacted me. 
And so it was through her that she presented the opportunity for me to actually apply for the Real Women campaign that the Go Red for Women sponsored through the American Heart Association, which is basically to get stories like mine and other survivors out there so people can realize that these are real stories and they're happening every day to women. And we need to educate ourselves about the dangers and warning signs of whether it's a heart attack, cardiac arrest, or stroke. And there are so many other things that are associated with the heart that we need to educate ourselves about. And I think that was God's way of saying, okay, when you get to this point, I want you to be ready. I don't want you to kind of like throw your bucket hat in the bucket and just like whatever. I want you to go in there and be ready because this is something that I need you to share. And with that mindset, I met 12 beautiful women that have similar heart stories and different heart stories than mine. And even though it's so different, it seems so much the same because we've just been through so much. Like some of us are moms, aunties, like we have so much to share and give, but yet we're still all recovering and trying to figure out what this life or second part of life, if you will, second chances. I still have to balance making sure that I put myself first as a priority and take care of all of my needs. I do everything I need so I can be my best self. And then I can, in exchange, take care of my son and give him everything that he needs. And that is not always an easy balance for me. Because before this journey, I was so busy taking care of everyone else but myself. And I had to reframe my thoughts and my mindset and realize that that was not serving me. I need to take care of myself. I I take my health very seriously. I don't think about inconveniencing anyone. I don't think about anything that may deter me from getting done what I need to do for my health. So cool, right? Leslie sent us the link to the campaign and it is absolutely beautiful. You can watch her video for the Go Red for Women campaign by clicking the link we provided in the description. I thought this was an incredible story of resilience. And as a final question to Leslie, I had to ask her, what was her definition of resilience? What was the good news? Resilience is simply to me, not necessarily going on a definitive definition, is being in a state of mind where you absolutely refuse to give up. You absolutely refuse to give up. I don't care what comes your way, what it looks like, whether you know what you're talking about, you don't know what you're talking about. You simply go into that space with what you have, know that you're good enough, you're worthy to be in that space, take up that space and push forward and keep going into whatever that goal, that end result, whatever vision that you have, it comes to intuition. I am most grateful for being here. The good news is I am still here. There's nothing throughout my journey that guaranteed me the opportunity to still be here. I am talking, I can sing, I can walk, I can feed myself. I'm independent enough to finally go out into the world and have a moment to enjoy my friends and my family. I'm still able to live this life. I don't know what the next chapter of my life is, but I'm excited. 
despite what I've been through, despite the ongoing healing and the journey that I'm on right now in life, being a stroke survivor, I am still here. I am still here and I am living. And that's the good news. If you or someone you know has experienced a stroke, heart disease, or just want to take preventative steps towards better heart health, click the links in the description of today's episode to learn more about your local services that may be available to you. 45% of women ages 20 and older are living with some form of cardiovascular disease. Also, less than half of women entering pregnancy in the United States have optimal cardiovascular health. So that means we have to get educated and take better care of ourselves. To learn more about the American Heart Association and the Go Red for Women campaign and Leslie's involvement, those links have been provided in today's description as well. The Good News Podcast is a collection of personal stories told week by week with brand new episodes every Wednesday brought to you by Ash Media Network. And remember... With every bad day, there will always be a good day to follow. With every obstacle comes a victory. There is always something good to look forward to. Good news is always on its way.